Hello and welcome to The Mason Jar on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and as always in The Mason Jar, I'm joined by Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? Uh, it's going very well. Enjoying the season. Yeah, so do you have your Christmas tree up? You've strung it with popcorn, all the things that you do? Yes, I did. I, I actually sat down on my de- day off, I think, two weeks ago, and all I did was string popcorn and cranberries the whole day all by myself. <laughs> Some traditions, that, some traditions can never good. die, right? Yeah. Well, the tree looks so much better, so I, I have a hard time looking at the tree if it doesn't have the popcorn. I had to, I had to face the fact that I was not doing that for other people. I was doing it for myself. <laughs> it's funny because our tree is um, sort of uh, sad looking this year um, because we have, we have a, you know eight-month-old who's starting oh, to scoot okay. around and everything and we have a puppy and so the bottom of the tree is just sort of uh you know empty <laughs> oh, I, the... I, I was just talking to my son about that very thing he said yeah when you have a dog or a baby uh max wags his tail and all the ornaments on the bottom of the yeah. tree go, go yeah. down <laughs> and then the, uh, the... you guys have a puppy yeah we have a uh... Well, she's about six months old. Six. She's in that range. We're not exactly sure. She's a rescue, so we're not sure. She's a lab mix. So, we oh, looked. Fun. Yeah, we looked for a long time, and uh, our our middle uh, son Jeremiah, who just turned uh, four on December fifth, he <clears throat> he's kind of a dog whisperer of sorts. Oh and yeah. All dogs go to him, and he is not afraid, and he loves them, and it's just it's it's really interesting. So we wanted to get him a puppy, and so we we brought them to the Humane Society and to the different shelters, and um, to try to kind of figure out which one to to get. And so one day we went, and this this puppy, this little lab mix, was so sweet and gentle with the baby too, and was so playful, and went right to Jeremiah, and he loved her, and my wife kind of fell in love with him with her. So we uh, we took the boys home, and then I went back, and I was gonna go back the next day. But I went back that same day. I just felt like I should for some reason. So I did. And while I was there getting her, someone else um, was there getting a different dog. And that person said that they had had a dog just like her. And if we weren't adopting her, they would have adopted her. So if I had waited till the next day, we would not have got her. So. Oh, wow. Wonderful yeah. story. So you know that's your dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she's um, she is very sweet the the first day we got her home she would started bringing toys to the baby <laughs> so she yeah. oh that's so awesome those little la- <clears throat> those labs are so smart and she's a lab mix so she's got i'm guessing she's got some kind of terrier in her so she's a little smaller i don't think she'll get much more than like 40 45 pounds which is good oh, yeah. which is good for the for the kids so yeah definitely she's, they can get so big she's uh she's we've t- she learns she's now knows how to lie down sit shake she comes sometimes <laughs> we're working on it and it's just like a kid yeah i know it's hard to train a dog but but those labs and i know max is pretty smart max is so smart he knows when to actually ignore um our commands <laughs> yeah well and also i've heard that terriers um and dogs that are kind of in that that kind of breed range i don't know what the terms are but that they right. have they are very um one track minded sometimes so while they're smart if they get distracted they might not they sometimes like like dogs that are bred for hunting and things like that don't always apparently anyway don't always even hear you. So if they're if they're paying attention to something else, they're zoned in on it and they might not even hear you. So it looks like they're ignoring you, but they're just 
doing yeah. what they're bred to do. So oh, at, Max is a shepherd, and when he's oh, yeah. shepherding, um, you might as well forget calling him because he does not hear. Yeah, um, yeah. We've had we've actually had quite a drama in our neighborhood this week because <laughs> our neighbors got a rescue dog, and while they were getting out of the car, it ran away. Oh no! And it was just a little tiny, um, tiny, tiny. I can't even think of the breed, but it's just a little wee, little tiny dog, and so it didn't even know where it lived. Yeah. And they lost it. And we have all wood. So, oh, no. so in the middle of all that, Max got out and um, and we were getting notes on our neighborhood watch thing about the vicious dog that was hurting, trying to herd people back in their houses. And we knew <laughs> that was Max. He is not vicious, but he definitely, when he wants you to go somewhere, he 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 does put on the herding, herding yeah. behavior. Is he, uh, what kind of shepherd? He's an English shepherd. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like a border collie, a little bit yeah. bigger than border collie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, we we seem to like to talk about dogs. On this yeah, topic. yeah. Well, I'm sure we've got lots of dog lovers who are uh, who are listening. But just for those that are not dog lovers, we'll move on. Uh, yes. We are here to do a um, Q and A episode of the Mason Jar, and so we have a few questions from listeners uh, for you, Cindy. And um, if you want to send in a question for a future episode. You can uh, email either Cindy or I. Um, I'm at david at searcyinstitute.org, and Cindy is at cindy at ordo-amoris.com. So you can, you can send your questions to either of those places. Typically, most questions get sent to you, Cindy, so, which makes sense. Um, so that if you want to get directly to Cindy, you can send them to her directly. Yeah, and I don't answer everything. Um, I usually um, don't answer all emails, but some every once in a while I do. Well, we'll but try. I do, I do try. I do put all the questions in a folder so that we do have them. Yeah, we'll try to get to as many as we can. Some episodes we get to, you know, just one or two. But I, you know, which we try to get three in. It just depends on, on uh, the length of the question and how complicated it is. But um, this first question is, um, it's a good one. It's about grammar, and uh, this person says, "What I am really befuddled about is grammar." There are so many options, it seems, and I'm a grammar flunk. I know the basics when I have to write, but have no academic understanding of things, and I get lost when people start talking about official names like predicate and gerund, etc. I'm looking forward to rectifying that as I tackle it with my sons, but I'd really like some guidance, <laughs> i.e. tell me what to do, please. Uh, that's a little parenthetical there. Um, so she wants to know, so she wants some guidance as to where to start with a child who will be nine next year in year four. Um... I have Simply Grammar, and I also own The Mother Tongue Book, too. I'm intrigued by all that you've written about Michael Clay Thompson in the past. She said that she has, this person says, I have no problem purchasing one of his products or any other if I know what to buy. I feel comfortable applying my knowledge of Charlotte Mason with most other curriculum choices, but grammar has me in a tizzy, and it's nearly a year away. So, you've been through this many times. You talk about grammar in your um, in your book, in Mere Motherhood. Um, right. So, so what's your, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I, and I'll just answer this question really quickly. Um, this is actually from my friend Dawn Duran, and she asked it quite a while back. And because she's such a good friend, I just kept ignoring her and not, not <laughs> answering her questions. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I do like the Michael Clay Thompson books. When you're talking about a nine-year-old, and this is where it gets really tricky, um, it, this is where that whole idea of teaching and learning are two different things. Because teachers love to teach grammar, and grammar's really kind of fun to teach it's just very difficult to learn and there is definitely what we would call readiness involved with grammar and I think 
I think it's kind of interesting that we've lost the concept of readiness in the last, I'd say, 10 or 15 years. And I'm, I'm not really, I wouldn't be able to figure out why that is, but even amongst um, homeschoolers and Okay, I know that in classical circles, we've had the, the idea of the grammar stage, the logic stage, the rhetoric stage, and that kind of covers a little bit of, rhetor of, of readiness. But um, I think maybe we've lost just the concept that, that, that some things kids aren't ready for yet, and grammar seems to be one of those abstract concepts that kids struggle with. And and they just glaze over when we start talking about it. So so what I and I I I say this because I went through this for years and years and years, just you know teaching grammar and feeling like it was I was using up a lot of time for very little uh, uh, getting back anything. And, and I know that um, a lot of grammar programs are very repetitive. They just teach the same things over and over and over again in a different way. But but what I ended up doing number one, uh, mom mom can try to teach herself grammar. She can get um, even like an old Harvey's grammar book or a, my preferred book is the Mother Tongue books. Um, and you can get the answers, keys from um, Amy Edwards at Blue, uh, uh, Blue Sky Daisies. But um, I love now, I have a 10-year-old student and, and I've gone back to doing with him what I did when I would, when at the very, you know, last uh, probably 10 years of homeschooling. I just take the Michael Clay Thompson um, practice books, and they're called things like Practice Town. Each level, each level of Michael Clay Thompson's materials contains a practice um, book for sentences. And I just buy the teacher's edition. And it really doesn't hurt to buy um, the the younger years, um, not worry about grade level. And, and just slowly b build on learning um, grammar that way. He takes a sentence, and he, he doesn't diagram it in the traditional sense, but first he goes through and breaks it down into what each word is doing in the sentence. Then he breaks it down into are there phrases, are there direct objects, what's the subject, what's the predicate. And then he does some vocabulary and poetics um, along with that, with the sentence. And if you put up the sentence on the whiteboard and you keep the teacher's edition, then you can walk through um, the sentences with your children. And like the, this last week with my kids, we did a sentence with, you know, the, the whole idea of you being the, the um, subject, but um, it's not... Um, uh, it's not written in the sentence. It's an implied subject. And he had some sentences that, that did that. And then um, I don't, uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll give my child a sentence to take home as homework, if you want to call it that, and ask them to, to do those things to the sentence on their own. But um, I think if you are doing uh, one sentence a day in grammar like that for, for, say, five or six years before you actually hit grammar really heavily, maybe, um, your child's going to have a very solid base in grammar. The other, the other way um, to go at grammar, besides mom, mom learning it herself, and then just like doing it in, in five minutes a day, is a course language study. When you start teaching Latin or or you start um, um, teaching another language, uh, some of this stuff comes back then, and that's why I think Michael Clay Thompson is so great. You could almost skip the formal grammar if you're going to do. Um, this sentence work or diagramming a sentence every day. And then, um, you know, when you add in Latin, th then all of a sudden all that grammar, um, you have that symbiotic relationship. What in, in, in athletics, I guess we call that cross-training, but there's just something really magical about cross-learning those subjects. Hmm. 
uh, did you find that you, did, or I, has your enjoyment of teaching grammar evolved over time? Oh, absolutely. I, I really enjoy grammar and I wish I wasn't getting so old <laughs> because <laughs> I still am not that great at grammar. Um, I, with all this said and done, I don't know if it was just, I wasn't wired properly. I, I missed some, some sort of, um, grammar wiring, but, um, <laughs> I, I really enjoy it now, and I, I, I wanted to delve into it deeper and deeper. And I have friends who, I mean, they'll just tell you, you know, I, I get tripped up really easily when when I think a word is going to be something and it's something else. You know, that throws me uh, sometimes. Like, So I, I have a long way to go. But I, I, as far as what a child is ready for and what a child learn, can learn in grammar, I think I have that. Um, not all children are going to be grammarians, and, mm, right. but we want them all to, to really have a basic understanding of the English sentence. And I guess it was Winston Churchill who took English maybe five or six times, he said, in, and when he was in school before, you know, in his lower levels. I don't know what they call those in England. But apparently he just kept failing. And, mm. and, and as we know, he became a wonderful writer. And if you and he said if there was one thing he knew, it was the English sentence. And, mm. and that's another key. I would just take it down a notch. Uh, what are you trying to learn in grammar? Well, the first thing you tr are trying to get to know is the English sentence. And it, once uh, if you can you bring it down to just that level, um, there's a lot you can learn just right mm. there without getting too deep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so would you consider would you say that you were like the, like this? Well, I guess you outed your friend as a grammar flunk. So, because the question, because she said here, I'm a grammar flunk, and you said who her, her name was. Oh, so. that's right. I did tell her name. Now everybody knows that Dawn is is really bad at grammar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's um, let's go to the second question here. So this one is a little long, so bear with me as I read it. Um, but uh, I I suspect you can uh, empathize with this one. So um. The questioner says, Cindy, I know you've covered the toddler's thing before, but I still need some advice, and I'm hoping your mothering, your boy mothering skills can help. I have a six-year-old, five-year-old, three-year-old, and 16-month-old. We've been doing morning time for two years or so and have always enjoyed it immensely, and at our kids' ages, it comprises mostly of their school except for a math lesson most days for the six-year-old now. So far, so good. But the 16-month-old has been a horrible little beast now for about two months. It takes me two to three hours to get through reading some Bible, picture books, and the math lesson that the uh, math-bright six-year-old mostly does independently. This is because the little guy constantly fusses, screams, interrupts, distracts. He attacks everyone around the table. He takes or knocks down the quiet toys like Legos or blocks or coloring I give the other kids to take out uh, the wiggles so they can listen while I read. I've tried doing our reading at the library, upstairs in the kid's bedroom, um... Next to the toys, the baby doesn't play with much, giving the baby his own special toys that come out only during morning time, holding him on my lap while I stand, giving everyone snacks or not too sugary things like, like tea, which she says is tea-flavored warm milk, um, giving him his own attention first, letting him color, um, putting him in his room with some toys, um, and so forth. So she gives a bunch of different examples. Uh, I had the big kids all trained to enjoy our little time together and bam there it is all in pieces um what she she says a couple of things more and then she says what do i do do i just stop school altogether for a while the two biggest especially crave the family time and the mental stimulation but i'm f i feel like i'm cheating them to cut it out how do i train 
this little fellow. I realize he's just a baby, but he seems to have no problem occupying himself as long as he doesn't see mom reading or anyone else enjoying any activity without him taking over. Is this just a stage to grit my teeth and get through? Is this a discipline problem? If so, how do I address it with a small, hardly talking toddler? Any help deeply appreciated. Okay. So, okay. So yeah, I'm sure you've been there. You have you have a lot of boys, and well, you I mean, this is probably not just a boy problem, actually. Yeah, toddler problem. Yeah, yeah. And I, I definitely have been there, and I understand. Um, it, it I I want to say this because I want to put a caveat here. It's really hard to talk about discipline and um, um, those kind of issues, parenting issues, and I I feel. I, I just want to say that anything I say, just ignore me if, if it doesn't, if you don't feel like it applies to you. Uh, the, there's a couple, there's a couple ways um, you can look at this. I think yes, it is just a stage and it will pass. Um, on the other hand, uh, and and some and some toddlers, I think I always found 18 months to be especially difficult. And she says this baby's 16 months. So some toddlers are just more disruptive and, and troublesome. Than, than other toddlers are. So so we have that. We have a, a particularly um, beastly little child. And, and of course, he's going to be a wonderful person when he grows up. And maybe, you know, so we, we don't have to worry about that. But but there there is a thing um, that I used to do. And, and, I, and I, I got this. Um, I actually got it from Doug Wilson. And, and I'm not that's not a um, promoting Doug Wilson in any way, but I just an acknowledgement of where I got this. And it was called a reign of terror. And, and when your whole family just kind of falls apart, and nothing's working. It is a time to just step back and become a very harsh. Uh, no, no, um, no, nothing get under the radar. Mom, mom's going to take care of every problem that pops up. We all know that the key to disciplining our children is consistency. Uh, but it's very, very hard to be consistent when you have a toddler in the house because you do feel like you're not going to, if, if you're consistent with the toddler, you're not going to get anything else done. I would encourage you to be consistent with the toddler. I, I, I would make that my very first priority. I'm going to be consistent with the discipline that I give this toddler uh, and then move from there because that will, will cut short um, the time that he's going to be disruptive and, and will bring your family to a place where th you can get more done in a quicker manner. Um, it will be frustrating because um, I remember once when I had, uh, I guess I had three and I was pregnant with my fourth son. I was sitting there reading um, this little pamphlet. And at the time, I don't know, I think it's called something else now, but it was called Under Loving Command. And I really liked that little pamphlet, if you can find it. Um, it was about a lady disciplining her children. And, and maybe by today's standards, it would be a little harsh. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe people don't um, discipline their children the same way in this generation as, as maybe I did in my generation, and even more so in the generation before that. But in one of the things that happened while I was reading the, the little pamphlet was I was sitting there as a young mom. I think I'm nursing my baby, and I'm thinking, well, that's all fine and good, but what about if you're nursing a baby? I mean, you, your kids are just going to go crazy. And the, mom, and the lady in the pamphlet said, if you're nursing, right at that moment, right when I'm thinking that, she said, if you're nursing a baby, put the baby down. And that was revolutionary for me because um, it seemed like nursing was something that had to be done and you, you weren't going to interrupt it for any reason. But um, when it comes to consistently 
disciplining your children in whatever way you decide to do that, um, if you're not consistent, you're not going to reap the fruits and the rewards of being consistent. And so part of that might be interrupting the things that are important to you to do the more important thing of, of disciplining the child and, and consistently stopping and not letting a child get away with something he should not get away with. Now, of course, you can do all the things. You can distract the toddler and 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 do all the, you know, you don't have to you don't have to always, you know, just go at the toddler uh, full speed ahead. But if you're not consistent with the toddler, then you're not going to reap the rewards of, of, of that. And um, you're not going to be enjoying your children. And that really is the key to, to discipline. You're not disciplining, disciplining your children so that you have power over them and, and that they um, have to do what you say and you're the boss. You're disciplining them so that you can enjoy them and they are a joy to be around. And if you're not experiencing that in your family with your um, with your children, then then you need to ask yourself, do I need to step back, at, forget school, forget reading, forget all the things that that are really that I really want to do with my family so desperately, forget those things, and consistently um, discipline your children when they need to be disciplined. And if you can do that for a short period of time, and like I, I, I like Doug Wilson called it, a reign of terror, then you will, <laughs> you will, um, you will get some fruit out of that, and that things will, things will calm down, and you will be able to go back and enjo- enjoying your family. One thing I noticed um, is that I would do that, and then of course I would slack off, and then things would get crazy again, and then one day I'd wake up and think, oh, this life is so crazy, and then I, I, oh. I need to consistently discipline my children and then I would go back and then things would get better. So I I don't know if that's going to really help, but that, that is one, um, one area where one thing I can say about that subject, I mean, toddlers are toddlers and it, 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 it's very, I always say that no one's ever really come up with a great answer to what do you do with your toddlers? Well, and yeah, in part, in part because they're all different, right? Like every, you know, you, there's there's things, there's principles, I suppose, that apply. But you know, every child, every child responds to different things differently, or has a different personality, or um, you have a different relationship with each kid too. Like you know, even within your own family, all three kids are going to be different, or, or whatever. Right. I mean, some kids are just immune to any kind of rebuke, or they just don't hear it, they don't care, they're not. Yeah. If you want to talk about spanking, like we did in the past. Um, you know, there are some kids that you can spank them all day long and it has no effect on them whatsoever. They're not concerned at all. They don't seem to be able to remember that they might get a spanking. And um, so so any any form of discipline on any particular child just might not work. Just some kids are more immune than others. Yeah. Well, like we're right now with our five year old, you know, these kids always go through phases. And mm-hmm. it seems like there's always something new that they can, you know, be disobedient about or some different part of you know whether yeah. it's you know this toddler might be really hard with with uh, school right now or with you know during the morning time but you know when they're five it's going to be something else and it seems like it always you know is about consistency it's, which is funny because we're doing that with the, this puppy right now because you mm-hmm. it's it, it's obviously much different because this is a it's a dog and not a child but if you want the dog to learn something you have to be consistent and you have, there has to be like patterns for it to recognize and it has to see, you know, if I do this, I'm going to get this reward or whatever. And it's similar with kids, you know, the, the consistency I think is, 
is, you know, so important. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the worst thing about parenting, the idea that you have to be consistent and it's where we mostly all fall down, but it mm. definitely is, uh, the key. So she mentioned that she was a little concerned about cheating her other children of that kind of intellectual stimulation and the things like that, that she was, that she was talking about how the five, this, the five and the six year old like that in particular. If she decides to take a step back and really focus on the toddler, are there some things that she can do as a compromise? Like um, whether it's putting on some classical music and letting the kids color or giving them word search things, like little things that might seem like they're just play to the kids that can actually kind of um, maybe can be less hands-off for her but can still simulate them intellectually. Yeah, I mean, we talked about audiobooks a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, I yeah. mean, I didn't use audiobooks like that, but she could, you know, she could put the two that are ready to be, you know, mentally stimulated in a room with maybe give them some some papers and drawing and say, hey, draw, while you're listening, draw the story just so that they, you know, they don't get distracted with each other because before you know it, they could be wrestling on the floor. <laughs> if they were my children, that's what yeah, they would be Yeah, mine too. <laughs> so... Um, um, or you could even give them two different audio books and mm. put them in different rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could do that. And maybe, maybe so that they don't get to feeling left out, you could make sure you talk to them about what they listen to and, and have some conversations with them. But there are things like that I think you could do. I do think that these little short things, I mean, in homeschooling uh, in, in general, there are lots of things that come up that kind of ruin um, our, the well-laid plans. Yeah. At, at the, you know, grandmother gets sick and we have to go to her house or, mm. you know, some, some, uh, even pe- there the are dog family- gets out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Our, our neighbors, believe it or not, have nine kids. So their, huh. their kids are all out in the neighborhood screaming for this little dog. Oh. <laughs> but, but those things are always going to happen. And though, and we are going to lose, lose that, some of those to- that time, but I think that's all part of life. And, and I have, I found that, um, it doesn't take very long to, to regain ground that we, we feel like we may have lost, um, mm. when we have to deal with these family, family things. So the most important thing would be to deal with the toddler as consistently as you can. And to realize that, um, you know, every it's not going to be, per- life isn't going to be perfect and, um, toddlers are going to be toddlers mm-hmm. and they are going to interrupt and, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's okay. Um, yeah. there will be plenty of time, um, in a few months, the toddler won't be quite so disruptive. And it's especially if you, if you do stop and deal with them. Hmm. And then another thing that I thought of, that I think, you know, has helped in our house is if, dad can be involved. So if it, mm-hmm. maybe you, maybe you do an abbreviated morning time after supper or something where mom can attend to the, you know, give the attention necessary to the toddler and then dad can read. Oh, that's excellent idea. I think that's perfect. If, or, I mean, if or maybe before, that. maybe before he goes to work or, or something like that, we do it sometimes before I go to work. Cause I have some flexibility so we can get up and I can, you know, I can help with breakfast or whatever if I don't have a crazy day and then I can, spend some time doing, you know, my wife can attend to the baby. Our baby's younger and needs, you know, like it will, it will kill itself. It'll topple off a, the table or something, yes. if, you know, it's eight <laughs> months old. So it's got, it needs definitely needs a lot of attention, but, uh, um, or it'll eat a Christmas tree light, but, um, yes, yes. but you know, I, I can spend, even if it's 15 minutes with the boys reading a picture book and doing some Bible reading and working on a memory poem or something that makes a big difference. It's and it's a lot better than nothing. 
and when yeah. we could do could do it at dinner time after you know after give the kids you know a cookie or something and for dessert and then spend that time while they're eating that you know doing having dad read or something like that yeah if someone else can can spend time with the toddler while while the other parent or as a grandmother you know if your your mom is nearby you know maybe just say hey you know for a couple months while the baby while this toddler is is developing would you mind helping me um you know there 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 are those kind of things that you know i obviously aren't going to be for everybody but maybe for some people yeah yeah especially short term you know as a short term right okay let's do one final question here before we run out of time um and i'm gonna off the record here cindy i'm gonna skip ahead to number four because i think it'll be a quicker okay okay so um this this last question the person asks what is the difference between a narration and a book report they sound identical to me but i get the impression that classical educators are pro narration and anti-book report so that's a interesting distinction there how would you differentiate yeah, I think that's actually true. I think um, there is a little bit of an anti-book report, pro-narration attitude, and and I don't think it's um, misplaced. I think with narr- a narration is not a book report, and that's one of the biggest obstacles that you have to get over when you have a child that has been in school, and they start co- they come home and they are are um, um, because they want to say what they think about the book. And the narration is really not about what the child thinks about the book. It's actually what is the book about. So um, that that can be a little tricky sometimes. So so when you have a narration, you're not saying um, the author was saying this, the book was saying this, um, I like this book. Um, you're actually just telling the story. You're saying, here's what happened today in in my book, um, and, and you're telling you're retelling what you've heard. Um, you're not really bringing to the table your opinion about it or um, how you felt or, or how you thought somebody else might feel. Um, now, that's not to say that there, there can't be any book reports. I think, I think any time you have a child writing, narration um, should, is, 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 a, is working on the mind in a completely different way than a book report would be. But if you do decide to have a book report, that's perfectly fine. I just would never, ever let something like a book report replace a daily narration. I think in my experience, book reports often are, you know, sort of at least somewhat research oriented too, especially as the kids get older. So they have to find things about out about the author or they're, you know, the the implication is there's certain things that, they're look, that you're looking for. Whereas yes. I think a narration is less, you're not looking for specific things. You're looking to see what they know or what they remember or what they've heard. Right. Is that correct? Would you say that's true? Yeah. And you see, especially you see this in kids who are, have been in school, um, that you see that they bring, they, they can't, they think you're looking for something and it's very, very hard to train that out of them. Um, to be, because they think the teacher wants them to say something about, you know, the, what the, the the angst of the author maybe or um and look looking for things that um that uh, we just don't really find important in the narration and, and should not be in the narration and are are so much less important to the, to the to the child um bringing a judgment on a book is is really maybe something for the high school years or the mm-hmm. later even later high school years and even then i i think there there has to be a kind of 
you have to be a little bit careful that you don't um, you don't fall down the rabbit hole of, of our modern thinking in the way you deal with um, books and thinking. Well, yeah, and if you that's why it's important for us as parents and teachers to provide good books for them, so that they're already you know it's our job to determine what the great books are. At yeah. The, at the beginning, yeah. and give those to them, and then let them experience them and respond to them. You know, it's not their job to really tell us whether a book is great because they're not capable of it. No, and and I found that with them all the modern, a lot of uh, librarians and um, modern teachers who who aren't real familiar with the classics or, or good good classic books. Um, you know, that aren't classics, but they're just great books from the past or good books from the past. Um, there is this new type of book that's written, and it's almost written for this mindset. Um, look for the angst. Look, look for um, – it, it's set up for these sorts of book reports. And um, that, hmm. it, it's yeah. unfortunate, really, that, um, that that's the level that we – that's where we've come to – in reading and then everybody you know is all this is so profound and and really there wasn't a lot of good writing there wasn't a lot of uh, nuance or subtlety there wasn't um uh, what what would really make a book a good book it's just uh a lot of modern drivel really it's almost like it's almost like it's a it's a book that teaches you how to take a test. You know, it's like when you do the SAT, you take the SAT prep class so that you know how to do the SAT. It's like yeah. they write books so that you know how to write a book report about a book like that. Yeah, and or you, and, and that's a good point because those some of the SAT questions, uh, a kid who's been reading good books and then he goes to read one of those questions where they're going to ask you uh, whether you understand the understood the passage or not. Um, the passages are bizarre and they're they're um they're they're set up so that we're looking for these key things and these uh and they're very uh just a lot of a lot of um not i don't know how to even put it it's just uh very poorly written and i and unless you've been trained how to how to read bad bad stuff it, <laughs> it's, it's hard it's hard to make heads or tails out of what they're trying to say but the, these kids have been trained that way yeah, yeah. It doesn't take a long time to train someone to like something like bad books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I know with kids, you just put a few uh, risque words in there and, and everybody falls all over themselves. <laughs> well, uh, those are three good questions, three good answers. So thank you for that. Thanks to uh, the people who send in questions and um, we'll try to get to some more again next month. Cindy, my last question for you, because I'm sure our listeners will want to know, did they ever find the dog? Uh, well, they did find the dog, but then they knocked on the door yesterday, and the dog is now missing again. So <laughs> the the dog is a rescue dog. So he, you know, he's got some problems, issues. Oh, yeah. So you, yeah. I don't know if we're we're going to go find out. My son's going to go over there today and find out if they found him again. So hopefully mm. they did. Mm. Well, that's that sounds like a sorry. I'll tell you like next my, month a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you'll have to follow uh, Cindy on Facebook. Yes. Or Instagram or something. There. There yeah. You go. Yeah. All right, Cindy. Well, thank you for answering these questions. Uh, hope you have a uh, wonderful Christmas and we'll be back at the end of the month with an interview episode um, uh, for, you know, everyone who's listening. We'll do that sometime between Christmas and uh, the new year. Yeah. I have a couple good people lined up. I'm pretty excited about it. So um, we'll, we'll see everybody soon. 
and make sure that Merry uh, Christmas. yeah yeah and make sure that you head over to uh, com or circeinstitute.org to sign up for the new mere motherhood newsletter which is going to go out the first issue is going to go out this week um so uh if you have if you're listening to this and have not yet signed up for that head over there uh it, you can click on the sign up for the newsletter button on the uh, towards the bottom of the front page on meermotherhood.com or click on the resources tab on either site and it'll take you to a sign up place for that so that's going to be full of some really uh, good resources from Cindy Cindy's curating the content there um and uh i think people are going to really enjoy that so that's available as well okay well i guess we could say merry christmas and Good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Thanks, Cindy. All right. Thank you.